Thank you, Dario. And thank you, uh, Pastor Dave, for opening up this space and time. I, I have a congregation at home, and it's always a, it's kind of a, it makes you nervous to just, you know, open up the pulpit to somebody. And there's no pulpit here. I've set up a stand. But, but imagine there's a pulpit in front of me, and I'm going to bang it. And, uh, you know, it's, these are really weird moments. I find this very awkward, very tense to start, because, you know, Pastor Dave doesn't know me. Daria knows me. Pastor Dave doesn't know me. You don't know me. I don't know you, and we're all here in this moment where you're sitting staring at me, and for the next half hour or so, you're like, all right, you're going to talk, and we're going to listen, sort of, maybe, and then we're all going to go home, and that was normal, but it's weird. Isn't it weird? Can we acknowledge that it's a bit weird? You know, and it isn't just like you're going to some motivational seminar. We're talking about, like, eternal truths of the gospel, that some complete stranger is going to come and talk about. And, and we're just kind of like, all right, I guess that's just what's happening now. <laughs> it's a weird thing. And I think we need to acknowledge it more often than not. And, and we need to ask ourselves the question, why should I even listen to this guy? I hope you're asking yourself that question. Maybe you already are. Like I'm, I, or maybe you've already answered. I'm not. <laughs> this guy's out. No. Um, I asked this once of a large group of young adults. I said, why should you even listen to me? Have you ever thought about it? And they had never even thought about it. And one person said, well, because you're a really good speaker. I said, well, first, you don't know that. But second, if I am, it's even worse. Because if I'm not saying things that are true, I could really, really persuade you that they're true if I'm a good speaker. So we actually have a responsibility together here today, and it is to discern truth together. You know, your, your job as a congregation is not to come and sit and listen. Your job is to actively engage with the truth and to weigh it, to test it. So I invite you, please, to weigh it and to test it. That doesn't mean that if I say something you disagree with, that you can stand up and start shouting. That's not what that means. That happens in my congregation a lot, but that doesn't mean that that should happen here. Um, but it does mean that you should be weighing what I say against Scripture and should be talking about it and saying, is this, is this true? I bring my greetings uh, to you from Vancouver that's where I'm from, Vancouver, downtown east side. Our congregation is called 614 Vancouver. We're a Salvation Army prayer, mission, and justice community in a very, very rough neighborhood uh, in, the Van- in, in Vancouver. And uh, that community this morning is going to be praying for you. And there are a few things that really do unite us. So it's not completely weird that I'm here talking to you. There's a few things that unite us. There's, you know, the blood of Jesus Christ, the name of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, a deep and abiding dislike of the Toronto Maple Leafs. There are things. <laughs> it's fascinating that that gets more of a reaction than the Holy Spirit. <laughs> On a regular basis, everywhere I go across Canada and around the world, people don't like <laughs> the Maple Leafs. Sorry about that. Um, but there are some things that unite us, and prayer really is something that deeply and, and, and potently, powerfully unites us. And so my congregation is praying for you this morning. I wonder if you would please pray uh, for Vancouver 614 this morning, if somebody would do that uh, for us, because I'm not there. We're, they're totally cool. They're all taken care of. In fact, they're in much better hands than when I'm there right now. But, um, but if you could pray for them, that would be fantastic. Would somebody please pray for, for that community right now? Amen. Thank you so much. I feel very, very blessed and privileged to be here. 
Uh, like I said, I come from a very rough, rough neighborhood. That's where we all, all gather, where we all live, we are, where I've raised my children for the last 12 years. And, uh, um, you know, we don't call it, there's lots of labels that are given to my neighborhood. Uh, poorest postal code in Canada, um, 10 blocks of hell. There's lots of things that are, de- that's how, it is how it's described. And, and we live beside a chicken factory in a brothel. That's where we've bought our house. We thought, that's the location, location, location. That's where, where you want to buy. Um, uh, but, you know, people say that about my neighborhood. I actually don't like it very much because that's home. These are my friends. These are my neighbors. This is where we love uh, to live. Um, but I do get the opportunity every so often to go around and meet other church communities, and I just am always so blessed to do so. And, and sometimes it's really odd. This is fairly normal. This is an okay gathering, and you know, it seems you all seem to love Jesus. Um, <clears throat> I was down in Atlanta once. This is the strangest one I think I've ever been to. In a very, very poor, very poor African-American neighborhood, and that's where the Salvation Army Training College is located. Now, that's a huge compound it's massive. It has big walls around it. And it's right smack dab in the middle of this very, very poor community. And, and they kind of said when we got there, you know, it's not really safe to go and walk around this neighborhood. So you should stay within the walls. And I immediately disregarded that. And probably foolishly, but just immediately said, no, we're going out. We're going to go out into this neighborhood and see what's what. And I mean, the people could not have been more lovely, more hospitable, more kind. And we were walking around with a group of about eight of us. And we came upon this church. And it was probably the poorest looking church I'd ever seen. I mean, it was falling apart. And there was, uh, there was police arresting somebody in the parking lot. And, and the church that was gathered outside and the pastor was there and he said, are you here for our hour of power? And I said, yeah, I am now. <laughs> and so uh, we all went in for their hour of power. And it was just this hour of praying and singing in this desperately poor neighborhood in Atlanta, Georgia. And at the end of this hour of praying and singing, the pastor got up and he said, and now a representative from the Salvation Army is going to come up and bring the word. (laughs) Oh, okay. So up I got to go and bring the word to this community I'd never met before and and just had to do that. And uh, at the end of it, uh, you know, I think it went all right. And they fed us. and, And then a man came up to me, an old man. He said, I wish I'd brought my camera today. I said, why? He said, I've been going to this church for 60 years, and you're the first white person I've ever seen inside this church. <laughs> Which is, it is funny, but it's also actually kind of sad, isn't it? You know, they say that Sunday morning in North America is the most segregated hour of the week. It is the time of the week where we separate into our socioeconomic and, and racial classes the most. We have poor churches. We have rich churches. We have Asian churches. We have black churches. We have white churches. I grew up in a Salvation Army community where uh, it was in almost a 100% Asian community, but the the church had been historically Caucasian. And I remember kind of the the odd looks that we would get as we'd march around with our instruments at nine o'clock in the morning through this neighborhood. This is the Salvation Army in your community. And people are like, what is happening? What is going on? And when there were suggestions of maybe we should try and do something a little bit to, you know, actually reach our neighbors and, and learn the language and stuff, there were people in that church who said, no, this is a white church. Now that sounds horrible. But they were just 
being honest about what most people sort of have really brought inside themselves about church. And we, we know that that's not right. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't look or feel or sound or smell like what we see in the New Testament, but what the church is supposed to be, does it? We know something is missing about the way that the Holy Spirit fashioned the church in the New Testament. Something's missing. Now, I want to assure you that I'm going to be very careful with this message here this morning. If this was back in my community, I would have the freedom and the authority to come down hammer and tongs on this. Uh, Because I know my community. I know my church. I don't know this church. I don't know this community. So please, when I'm speaking, understand this is not pointed comments about what I've seen and heard. You know, that's not what's going on. What I'm going to do is hopefully just present some things to you that I think are very biblical and true. And then that's going to be up to you to kind of weigh and test and say, what do we do with that? Is that fair? Is that okay? So I may say some hard things, but understand this is not, I've not heard gossip and rumor. And this is what, you know, I've been brought in to really bring, bring the thunder this morning on you guys. So I'm going to be careful with that because um, we don't know each other. We've been gifted a moment together. and I just want to speak something true and loving into it. So what's missing? What's gone wrong? I wonder if you can actually just talk to the person beside you right now and say, what, what do you think, if this is true, if the Holy Spirit wanted to fashion something, some kind of church, specifically what it looks like, and, and yet in North America in particular, this is what the church looks like now, generally speaking, What's missing? Could you share with somebody right beside you now and just, what do you think it is? All right, just wrap, start wrapping up those conversations. And, and thank you for engaging with that. And I actually appreciate the five-minute coffee break earlier where people went around and talked with one another. I think that's great. Do you know that recently a survey came out about why do people not want to go back to a church and the number one reason people didn't want to go back to a church was the meet and greet time? Isn't that weird? And, and the reasons people said is, well, I feel real. I don't like being forced to, to interact with a complete stranger. Ah, that might be the problem. <laughs> I think you've put the finger on the problem right there. It's a complete stranger uh, that you're interacting with and that you're worshiping the Lord with. Maybe we ought not to be such complete strangers. So I appreciate that. At, uh, at 614, and, and our community is called 614. It's based on Isaiah 61, verse 4, which is, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They'll restore the places long devastated, the places that have been devastated for generations. And our community is really weird. It's really, really weird. And I think most churches should be really, really weird. Amen? Yeah. Amen? yeah. You feel weird? I think we should be really weird. I think people from the world should walk into the church and go, whoa, these people should not be together. (laughs) That should not happen. It should be so odd. It should be such an odd grouping of people that it could not have happened aside from the Holy Spirit said, I want these people together and see what happens. That's what the church I think should look like. And and I've, I've seen it every so often. And, and so I appreciate the fact that you actually do take time to get to know each other. Um, one of the best places I ever saw this was in a prayer room. And I'm part of 24-7 prayer. And I, we ran a prayer room in a place called, in, in Orangeville, in the door. It was a youth drop-in center. Not churched kids at all. At all. I mean, they did not want to talk about Jesus at all. But we said, let's run a prayer room in this place. And we ran a prayer room and all these church kids came and they were really nervous because they were walking into a really scary place. And, but they would come and pray and a couple of our kids would come and, and pray in the prayer room. We ran it a second time and none of the church kids came back. None of the youth groups. I think they were so scared. 
They didn't want to come back. And we thought, "Uh uh-oh, who's going to come and be in this prayer room all day, all night? And it was all these kids from this drop-in center came in and were praying. They just filled the room. I got so tired. There was a point, I, I promise you this is true, where I said, God, please don't send in any more teens for me to talk to about Jesus because I'm so tired. I need to just meet with you right now, Jesus. And the person slept in. And I praised the Lord that, that that kid didn't come in. He got saved later. It's okay. Don't, it's... Uh, but the weirdest thing was there was one church group that did decide to come and it was a group of old ladies. It was an old lady Bible study that had been meeting for about 130 years in this one particular church in the town and every single week, the same time, same place and whatever, for whatever reason, they said, this week we're going to the youth drop-in center to pray for the weird so they came in and they were clutching their purses. They were really scared because it's a loud, noisy place. And they just kind of guided them into the prayer room and shut the door. And then a whole group of my kids, my teens, come swaggering in. They go, Aaron, we're going to the prayer room. I said, well, there's a group in there already. It doesn't matter. We'll join them. I said, uh-oh. So I just opened the door, let them in, and closed it. Just waited to see what would happen and waited for about 45 minutes and nobody came out. I thought, they have killed the old ladies. This is bad news. And I went in and I opened the door and I looked in and what was happening was there was a circle of old ladies weeping and praying over a circle, a group of kneeling teenagers who were weeping. Where does that happen? In the church is supposed to be the answer, but it isn't typically. You know, the only time these two groups of people might come together is a court of law. But, but they were together, and, and what these old ladies, all they ever wanted to do was bless the next generation. And really what these teens wanted was, was a blessing from the older generation. They really did. They didn't know to express that, but it's what they wanted. And here was a place where God said, yeah, that's what I want my church to look like. Extremely extremely unlikely. Look, this isn't a mystery. It really isn't. It's in Scripture. This isn't just me talking from experience. After Jesus has been resurrected, and the last thing he is, when he's gathering with his disciples, they want to go and, and start being witnesses. He says, you're not ready yet, but you are going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem. In Judea. This is from Acts 1.8. In Jerusalem. In Judea in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we just read that and go, okay. But we don't read it from the perspective of those first people who were hearing it, who would have said, Jerusalem, cool. Judea, okay. Samaria, no thank you. Ends of the earth, not even on the horizon for us. That's where you're going to be my witnesses. But you have to go and you have to wait. You have to go to Jerusalem. You have to wait for power to come from on high, for the Holy Spirit to come. And so they did. They went to Jerusalem, and they waited, and they prayed. The rest of the book of Acts is just basically a detailed account of Jesus' instructions coming true. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That's what happens in the rest of the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is fascinating, and most Christians don't read it. I don't know why. It's really, really interesting reading. I hope you've read it. And if you haven't, go home tonight and read it. it is, it's full of adventure and, and stonings and crazy things happening. It's hilarious. There's a guy who falls asleep during a sermon and falls out of a second story window and dies. And that's not the main part of the story. (laughs) The preacher then goes and brings him back to life as if it was no big deal and then carries on preaching. Like it's a really weird story. 
So these guys, they go to Jerusalem and they pray, they wait, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. Be very, very careful about what you pray for. Be very, very careful. When we sing, I don't know if you know the song, Come Lord Jesus, Come. You know that song? Or there's a song like, Come Holy Spirit, Fall Afresh on Me. Let's be really careful about that. Because what if God just really did? Wouldn't that freak us out? When the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples, it was tongues of fire. I don't even know what that looks like. I have a hard time imagining it. But tongues of fire come and hit them. And what is the first thing they have to do? They gush out of the upper room. They don't stay in the upper room and have their nice little soaking time and get gold teeth. They, they go out into the world. And they start speaking the gospel in the languages that are there. And they didn't even know the languages. There was a whole bunch of people, Jewish people from different places, and they spoke different languages, and the disciples came down, and now they're apostles. They're the sent ones, and they are speaking in different languages. This should give us a clue as to the type of church that Holy Spirit wants. It's not a church that stays in the upper room, and it's not a church that just goes to the people who speak your own language. The very first act is to go out and to witness and to speak in different languages. Got to be careful about what you pray for. We have a, a prayer room in Vancouver, 24-7 prayer room, and we ran it in this uh, slum hotel room, for, 504 of the Empress Hotel, for three and a half years nonstop. And I spent thousands of hours in this room. And you could look out from that room and see just drug deals happening and prostitution and violence. And I just was thinking, man, am I wasting my time? And God said, yes, waste your time on me. I'm worth wasting time on. I remember being in there, we'd take three-hour shifts, and I was in there once with this other person for three hours, and all God was saying is, pray for the lost, pray for the lost, pray for the lost. So for three hours, I'm trying to think of new ways to pray for the lost. God, give us the lost. Send us the lost. We want to see the lost. We want to find the lost. We'd like to, mm, the lost, Jesus, just give us the lost. Three hours of that. Then I walked out onto the street, Maine and Hastings, one of the worst blocks in Canada, And a guy was walking right in front of me going, I'm lost. I'm lost. (laughs) So, you know, you can't, in that moment, you can't go, all right. (laughs) You've asked for it. Here it is. You know, what if God actually gave us what we asked for? Would we be ready for it? Do we actually want it? What we're asking God for. What we're asking him for. Do we want it? I'm lost. So the Holy Spirit falls. They go out into Jerusalem and they, they witness. And it leads immediately in the church to a serious tension. A racial, ethnic tension. Do you know this? In Acts 6, it leads to this really serious tension. That there are Greek-speaking Jewish widows who feel like they are being overlooked. They're not getting the kind of help and care that they need. And in fact, all the help and care is going to these uh, Jewish-speaking, Hebrew-speaking uh, widows. And it's a problem, and it's threatening to tear the church apart, and they have to deal with that right away. Let's be encouraged that in the book of Acts, in the immediate uh, you know, birth of the church, right away there's racial problems, and they have to figure it out. This is not the ideal situation, but they got to figure it out, just like we have to figure it out. And then another problem arises. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, and the church doesn't go. They stay in Jerusalem. They stick around there. Why? Because they're pretty comfortable there. They haven't yet really started to be persecuted massively. They're pretty comfortable there in Jerusalem. And so the Holy Spirit, actually, as you read in the book of Acts, goes, nope, 
that's not what's going to happen. You're not going to stay here. God sends people to disturb us. And we look at those disturbances as problems, but actually they might be gifts from God. Anybody in your life really bother you? No? It's amazing. Anybody? Hands up if you have someone in your life who really irritates you. Oh, thank you, Lord, for those irritants. Thank you, God, so much for that person who just drives me bananas. Oh, anybody in the church? Anybody know someone else in this room right now who just really, yeah, there's somebody in the back there? We, we need, if all, if all of us are just always getting along and everything's fine, it might not be the church that God wants us to be in. I know that's a weird sounding word, being we should all love each other, but love doesn't mean just all getting along all the time. Love sometimes means saying hard things to each other and being difficult and figuring out, I don't like that guy. I'm supposed to love him. How am I going to do that? We were meeting once and, and having a great uh, prayer meeting and I delivered the word and it was amazing. And uh, <laughs> supposed to laugh at that. And, uh, and we were talking about, you know, we live in a really poor neighborhood, but do we still have the poor at the edges of our community? Are we still kind of cool and we just have, we, we can tell the story of the poor, but they're not really in the center of who we are. And I said, we're going to spend a bit of time hearing, do we really hear the voice of God from the mouth of the poor right in the center of who we are? And we're going to spend 10 minutes in just silence listening. You know, it's a very spiritual thing to do because I'm a very super spiritual person. And, um, and, and so we all gathered to do it. And we were, we were in an upper room, actually. And we heard this bang, crash coming up the stairs. And we all instantly knew who it was. It was Leanne. Leanne is the most marginalized, poor person I know. She is banned from everywhere. She has massive uh, mental health issues and addictions issues and violence issues. And we had thought she was in jail, actually, but she had just been released. And she came, she was coming to our prayer meeting, and she was crashing up the stairs and cursing her way up the stairs, yelling, who the f*** is up there? And we all knew if she made it up those stairs, and it wasn't a given that she was going to, but if she made it up those stairs that we were not going to have a time of silence anymore. It was impossible. And she comes, she made it up. She comes crashing and says, hey, who's up here today? And we go, well, uh, Leanne, we're just having a time of, ah, and just walked in, went up to her favorite person. There was about 40 of us there. Went up to her favorite person, picked her up, hugged her, kissed her, and just says, I love you. Put her down. Went to the next person, <laughs> picked her up. <laughs> Hugged, kissed, I love you, and then proceeded to do that with every single person in the room. And you figured out after about five, okay, this is a train that is not going to be slowed down. <laughs> this is disturbing everything that we thought was going to happen. At the end, she came, she hugged, kissed me, said, I love you, sat down right in the center of our circle and said, now what are we talking about here tonight? <laughs> we were trying to hear if we could hear the voice of God from the voice of the poor, and you totally messed it up, Leanne. <laughs> You know, God wanted to come and say, I love you, but he wanted to do it through Leanne to disturb us. We need disturbing people. I mean, God is actually going to send them. If we're not willing to go, God will send disturbing people to us if we really are asking God to change us. When we were started to meet on Sunday mornings, we didn't do that before we started meeting on Sunday mornings in the shelter, and there was a man who would come. It would probably take him two hours to get three blocks to come. He would just shamble along, and he'd come, and he'd sit right in the center of our meeting, 
And he couldn't control his bowels, and he would soil himself every single meeting, and it stank. It was awful. And there were people who didn't want to come because he would just always smell so bad. And I remember thinking, wow, we're really, we're really doing this stuff. We're really tolerant church because he can be here. But I was totally wrong. Because one week, one of our guys said, uh, he came to him and he said, here, come with me. I'm going to shower you in the back and give you new clothes. And he hadn't showered in months. He showered this man. I said, oh, right, that's what love looks like. That's what God was looking for. That's the kind of church he wanted. Not just a place that would tolerate, but a place that would actively love the person who nobody else in the world wanted to love. That's what the church, I think that's what the church looks like. And, and so the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts says, yeah, you're not going to just sit around in Jerusalem. He raises up someone by the name of Saul to go and ravage the church, go door to door, pull Christians out, bring them before the tribunal, and have some of them killed. I think God raised Saul up to do that. Why? Because then the church has to flee. There are people in the church who have to run away from Jerusalem. And where do they run? Anyone know? Samaria. That's where they go. They didn't want to go to Samaria. Samarians, Samaritans were filthy dogs to Jewish people. They, would, they wanted nothing to do with them. But they had to run away, so they ran to Samaria, and they started talking about Jesus, and Samaritans started getting saved. And it was really frustrating and surprising to the church. What's going on? They called them back and said, what's happening? Why are Samaritans getting saved? That wasn't what we expected. And they had to send Peter and John to go and actually lay hands on the Samaritans. And then the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they're like, whoa, these are our brothers. And we had to touch them. And now we're ceremonially unclean. But this is what the Holy Spirit wants. It's for us to be brothers and sisters with Samaritans. Ah, gross. Gross. They start getting saved. It's weird, but then it gets even more weird. You know the story of Peter. Peter's up on a rooftop, and he's getting hungry, and God sends down this vision of awesome food. (laughs) And he says, kill and eat, like lobster and pork. and Well, they're pig. I call pigs pork. Um, And come and eat this stuff. And he goes, I can't. I'm a good Jewish person. I can't eat that stuff. It's unclean. And God says, don't call anything unclean, that which I've made clean. It's an awesome vision. I'd love that vision. God's saying, hey, kill and eat some lobster, Aaron. (laughs) Amen, Lord Jesus. I will do this. I will do this for you. (laughs) And he says, well, the reason I'm doing this is because there's going to be some Gentiles coming and they want you to go to their house and they want you to tell tell them about Jesus. And Peter's like, I don't want to do this. But sure enough, people come. They say, you need to go to Cornelius' house. He's a Roman. He's in the military. Come and tell him about Jesus. And Peter's like, all right. And he shows up at the door and, and, and they, they, they say, come on in, Peter. And he goes, well, I'm not really supposed to be here because your house is unclean. That's not a good evangelistic strategy. <laughs> he didn't mean oh, there's cereal on the floor and your kids' toys. I mean, he like, your house is offensive to God. And if I walk in here, I will become ceremonially unf- like offensive to God. I'll become unclean. But God told me to come, so I'm going to come. And they say, well, you're supposed to tell us about Jesus. And so he starts telling him about Jesus. And he says, even before he started, he finished talking, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And Peter gets hauled back to Jerusalem. And the church goes, what are you doing? You baptized Romans. What are you thinking? And Peter goes, I didn't want to. This is a paraphrase. I didn't want to. I don't like them. They're unclean. But the Holy Spirit started doing it, and I couldn't not do it. That's what the Holy Spirit wants. I don't understand it. 
And then Paul gets saved. Paul, the, the Jew of the Jews, the Pharisee, the Pharisees, the guy who was going around and ravaging the church. And God says, I'm setting you apart to go to the Gentiles, to go and bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul is like the least qualified person to do this. It's ridiculous. The first place he goes in Lystra, he and Barnabas go there and they start healing people amongst the Gentiles. And the Gentiles go, well, they, you guys must be Zeus and Hermes, obviously. And then they bring out a, a big cow to sacrifice to them. Have you read this, this story? It's crazy. And they couldn't even figure out what was going on until they started ready to kill the cow. And they go, no, don't do it. Don't kill the cow. We're not, I'm not Zeus. I'm not Hermes. Like, that's weird. That's a weird story, but that's how the Holy Spirit was wanting to build his church amongst weird people. And Paul goes around every place he goes, he starts getting Jewish and Gentile people to eat together. And this was a huge problem. They shouldn't do this. And then Paul's enemies would come and they'd say, no, no, you shouldn't be doing this at all. And at one point, Peter comes to Antioch and Peter joins this group of people saying, well, the Jewish people over here, we're just going to eat together. And then the, the Gentiles over there, you can eat together. And Paul gets up and he says, and I rebuked him to his face in public. And he didn't just say, you're being a bigot. He said, you're actually threatening the gospel. You're abusing the gospel. Because the gospel means that Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans are going to eat together. They're a new family, a whole new people. This is what the Holy Spirit church looks like. It doesn't look like everybody looking like one another. It says that in the flesh of Jesus, he tore down the dividing walls of hostility. And we spent the last 2,000 years really carefully building them back up. Where North America, Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. It's not right. That's not the Holy Spirit's church. And it's not going to be solved by just inviting a bunch of different looking people to our Sunday morning gatherings. Because they don't necessarily want to come. The only way is for us to go out, to go and be in other places, in other cultures. What does that look like? I mean, where we live, this is just our example. People say, what's your program? And you say, well, we live in the neighborhood and we've lived there for 12 years and we just know everybody and we walk around. That's my program. I walk around and people come up and start talking to me about Jesus. And that's what happens. It's actually not rocket science. Now, our neighborhood is easier for that because everyone's just used to talking to each other. But that's what we do. And then we say, hey, do you eat? We eat. Do you want to come and eat at my house? Yeah, okay. Let's come and eat at my house. And we do that for anybody. So right beside us is a brothel. And there are prostituted women there. And when we first moved in there, when I'd pull up in my minivan, they would take that as a sign that I was a customer. Now think about that. Minivan to them equals customer. Who drives minivans? All right. So then they got to know me, though. And then they said, okay, you're not a customer. You're not looking for that. And then we get to talk, and my wife would get to talk, and we'd invite them for mostly breakfast because they'd been up all night, and they weren't awake at dinner time. We'd bring them over for breakfast. And probably the, one of the best things that's ever happened is my daughter was having her 13th birthday party, and we made it a Hollywood theme, and we, I dressed up in a tux, and they, her friends were all in gowns, and we put a red carpet outside of our house and had paparazzi there taking pictures. And, I mean, this is in the downtown east side, and the brothel's right there. Like, it's a weird thing to do. Um, and they're all having a good time, and one of our friends, one of the girls, comes up and says, is this a birthday party? Okay, I can't come, because I got to go, I have to work, you know, to, to get my crack. I have to go and do that, but, but I, I've, I've got a gift. I want to give your daughter a gift. 
So she went and she, she got a gift. But actually later when we were having the cake, she came. And she came in and it was like my whole family, my wife's whole family and all our people and, and our friend just eating cake together. And the whole idea that we say is we don't want anybody to be able to identify, well, that person's poor, that person's an addict, that person's mentally ill by the way that we treat one another around the family dinner table. We think that's kind of what church looks like. And that seems to be somewhat far removed from our normal church experience. But it is possible. It is doable. Because the Holy Spirit has placed his church in the world. Not in a Christian bubble. Not in a safe place. Into the world. And then said, go. Go to the ends of the earth. What we've been talking about in 24-7 prayer just this past week is this idea of prayer everywhere. Prayer doesn't have to happen in a church. It should happen in a church. But prayer should happen everywhere we go. When we're driving into work, pray. When we're at work, pray. When we're at the gym, pray. When we're at school, pray. Why? Because God is there. God is present. God isn't just here. God is here. But God is also at your work. God's also on the bus, believe it or not. (laughs) On the public transit, God is there. I can't tell you, I mean, every time I get on public transit, someone starts talking to me because I don't have earbuds in. People want to start talking. God is there. God is present. So let's pray everywhere. Let's be excited about meeting God in places that are sort of unlikely. It happened to Philip. One of the early disciples, Philip, was actually transported miraculously. It's a weird story. God sort of picked him up and moved him somewhere else. That's weird. And, and he goes and he meets this Ethiopian man who's reading the scriptures. And he goes, it was sort of like the I'm lost story. He goes, oh, I don't know how to understand this. How can I understand it? And Philip goes, I can help. God literally just like teleported me here. <laughs> Probably for this reason. I mean, there might be another, but it seems, you know, two and two plus four equals four. So let's go. Um, tells him, says, why shouldn't I baptize you right now? Baptizes him, sends him back to Ethiopia. We never hear about the guy again, but there's a church now in Ethiopia. And Ethiopia was the end of the earth. They didn't know anything beyond Ethiopia. That's the book of Acts. Well, now, where's the ends of the earth? I mean, how can you get further away from Jerusalem than Canada? We're we're the ends of the earth. And we're still bringing the gospel. We're still living this out. But you know what the really cool thing is? The ends of the earth have actually come to our neighborhoods, haven't they? You know, I got friends in Beirut who are ministering with Syrian refugees. And we go, wow, that's really cool. You're living the hard stuff. You're doing the thing, you know? You're with the refugees. That's amazing. They're 24-7 prayer community there, just blessing and seeing miracles and healings happen in the tents amongst the refugees. The problem out hearing stories like that is we start putting those people on a pedestal saying, wow, they're doing amazing things amongst really, you know, desperate and vulnerable people. But the thing is that those same people are coming here. Some of them are already here. Do you know that? They're here. They're at our doors. We don't have to go on mission trips to go and find the ends of the earth. The end of the earth is right here. God has gifted us. And there, I I, I will get slightly political here for a second. And feel free to disregard it. I'm from Vancouver. I'm weird. Don't worry about it. But there are people who are really afraid and causing people to be afraid of the people who are coming into Canada. And I don't think that's a Christian response at all. And not in a political way. I think, I think we need to go, God, thank you so much that you are sending people to our doorstep. 
thank you for this opportunity. What an incredible opportunity we have. Oh my goodness. Oh, they're enemies? Fantastic, because I know what I'm supposed to do with an enemy. Right? Love them. Love them. Pray for them. Love them. When I hear Christians going, oh, some of them are enemies. I'm like, yeah. Right? What did Jesus say about that? This is an opportunity. You know those irritants? How about enemies? Thank you, God, that you're bringing enemies to us. We don't even have to go and find them. They're coming to our doorstep. Ooh, it's uncomfortable. A little bit of tension in the room. But hey, this is the commands of Jesus. I'm not just coming up with this. You're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You're going to love your enemies. That's what you're going to look like. That's what the Holy Spirit church looks like. So let's go, yes, thank you, God, hallelujah, for this opportunity to actually look like the church that you want us to look like, so that no longer will that hour or our lives be segregated, that the world will look at us and go, whoa, we did not expect that, that's weird. We thought you were going to look like this, but instead you welcomed people in. Instead you opened your tables, your doors, your homes. Instead you opened your lives to people who are not like you. Oh, that's starting to smell like Jesus. We should be seeing them as potential, not just even ministry cases, potential family, brothers and sisters, because that's who they are. That's what Holy Spirit's doing. Church should look strange, and it should confuse the world, so we should go. Pastor Dave's going to come up and explain a very practical and particular way that this church can do this. Right now, starting today. I just want to pray for you, if that's all right. All right. Father, I thank you that you are the father of many different tribes and tongues and nations. I thank you that your Holy Spirit in the book of Acts just started fashioning a church that was so confusing to the world, to the extent that the Romans just didn't understand it. It felt like they had to try and squash it. I thank you, God, that, that, uh, that you are continuing to fashion your church in that way, and we see great examples around the world, and we mourn, we mourn the fear and the sin that leads us to build walls of hostility up again. Please help us to tear them down in our own hearts, in our own homes, in our gatherings, in our worship. Help us to be a people who go out and are truly your witnesses, your apostles, into the world around us. Thank you for sending the ends of the earth to our doorsteps. Help us to be found worthy of your calling in our lives. True citizens of the kingdom of heaven, open to the possibility of new brothers and sisters, and even loving our enemies. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.